Hi guys, welcome to What Does Childhood Look Like, episode 2. This week I'm talking to a friend of mine called Gemma who works with me uh, in forest school. Gemma's uh, a master's in uh, education and she's uh, a bit of an expert in imagination so we'll be talking about this week. And uh, yeah, I'll let Gemma explain who she is and we'll uh, get down to the conversation. So I've been a secondary English and drama teacher for nine years, um, eight years in London and a year in Somerset. Um, And I've got two kids aged four and two. So I've just left secondary teaching for now, mostly because of them, but other reasons too, I guess. Um, Yeah, I think we've all got other reasons for leaving teaching. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> probably quite some other ones yeah 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 okay so. cool um all right should we jump in with the first one then yeah um so we've got down on the notes about uh talking about resources for sort of facilitating children's imaginations and things yeah um and i guess yeah i think for me it's trying to f- it's thinking about is there a an optimum amount of resources or are there specific resources that are better than others you know there's always that thing isn't there of like if you have too much people will tell you that they're not using their imagination um but if you have too little it's quite difficult for them to sort of imagine and and play with things like that what's your kind of experience with with stuff like that um well sort of talking about it from a parent's point of view and from my own two kids um I would say it totally depends on the child Mm -hmm. because my son, who's four, has never really fixated on particular toys that are designed to be toys. The things that have captured his imagination. So, for example, this evening I was watching him and he spent the longest time playing with a coat hanger and the bit of string on the end of a compass and a crayon but pretending the crayon was a rocket and he's always been that way so he'll get very attached to what we might think is quite an inanimate object and we might not see the play value in that yeah but for him that coat hanger was talking and was becoming some kind of machine and so he was interested by the way that the top of the coat hanger would swivel and the sides would move and it was doing things you know and he's got this particular crayon that is just endlessly a rocket and mm. he will involve other sort of other weird items, you know, like sellotape or masking tape and string and sort of tape it round the crayon. And obviously in his mind, something really like he's totally immersed in the imaginative world yeah. on the masking tape. And for him, that is playing. And, um, yeah. and I know the four year olds who very much do have a favorite toy that is more, you know, a toy that someone might have given them or um or they've requested sort of thing whereas he'll just pick up odds and ends that are lying around and make toys out of them um whereas my daughter obviously she's much younger so who knows she could be different when she gets to the age of four but she seems more to attach herself herself to um to toys like animal toys or okay. uh doll kind of toys and she really invests them with a kind of soul you know she's right. playing them as if they are real um and a lot of them are toys that my son had when he was younger and just sort of went oh yeah that's okay but I'm not really going to play with it and she's discovered it and sort of adopted it so she's got a wooden pull-along cat on wheels and that cat is totally alive for her you know that is catty catty is coming you know oh we've left 
Cathy, oh no, Cathy's fallen over, and she will talk to it and sort of, in inverted commas, mother. Yeah. It, you know, are you all right, darling? Are you okay? Here, come here. <laughs> so that kind of thing, which my son would never have done, even at that age. So yeah. I guess um, from a teaching point of view, then it's uh, working with children. It's up to you to kind of forge a relationship with that child and observe them and work out for them what could you provide or, you know, mm. what could you give them access to that's going to spark that imagination where they can inhabit that world. Yeah. So it's them and that that object you know um and some kids might not need any objects i guess too some kids are just so you know without hanging their imagination on a physical thing they can just inhabit that world so what's your i think mine i think growing up i i i had a very growing up because i grew up obviously like mid 90s was kind of prime toys and child you know that i was about five in the mid 90s five or six and like i seem to remember a lot of my toys being um you know like plastic action figures of t you know that it was like ninja turtles or power rangers or um it was stuff that i had already seen um and then i would just kind of uh i guess it would it was more like reenacting than then I don't know whether how much kind of new creating I did, whether it was just kind of, I was making like more TV shows for myself, if you like. Yeah. You know, that kind of difference between, it sounds like your kids are, are making up, um, particularly the son, sounds like he's making up like new things. Um, yeah. And it's not hung on something he's experienced before. Whereas I think I was a kid, I was very much like, well, um you know this is how that works and i think that comes into like because inside of like imaginative play and things there are um rules that you can enforce and not enforce Mm -hmm. and i think i was very much one of those kids that's like um you know if you gave like the wrong ninja turtle the wrong uh accessory you know if it had like the wrong weapon or something yeah and and i would be the going no no no, that's not right you're not allowed to do that he has to have this one (laughs) and he has to have this one and like there were very strict i think there were quite strict rules in my imagination of what was allowed to happen and what wasn't allowed to happen yeah well i guess if you are as you say reenacting you're kind of bringing to life characters that in your mind already exist because you've seen them on telly or whatever yeah then for you those characters are so real and now you're kind of in control of that character or you're wielding that character but it already exists and there is a truth to that as you say and for you, that character was so real, that thing that had already been created, that even if you are manipulating that item, the character is secret, you know, like yeah, you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Did you, what was yours kind of experience? I'm just trying to think. Yeah, I think a bit of a mixture, although I'm a bit older than you, so there wasn't that much kind of TV. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, so when I was that age, I guess I was playing with, like, Sylvanian family animals and, yeah, yeah. and Barbies and Cindy's and stuff. But they didn't really have a, you know, kids TV was still a thing, but it was like play school and it was on for a couple of hours in the morning mm. and a couple of hours in the evening. And it wasn't, you couldn't access it any time of day and there weren't certain shows with their own characters in that way and so much. So there weren't those characters for me to then reenact. Yeah. I don't ever watching tv and then playing something apart from disney films maybe when i was a little bit older oh okay and then i would kind of yeah with sylvanian families and stuff i think i would do a little bit maybe of what 
my son is doing in terms of uh, random household objects would become quite important in the games. So mm -hmm. like, uh, um, like a almost like a colander type thing, but it had sides that moved. I remember became a spaceship for Cindy for quite a long time. All right. <laughs> and um, but I also played in quite a weird way. I I read loads, and my mum read to me loads from a very young age. So I didn't play in the same way that most kids play in terms of voicing the characters maybe yeah i played as i was telling the story so it was like i was the a kind of third person yeah yeah so i would go cindy was walking down the road one day when she met ken uh you know ken being <laughs> incredibly handsome and cindy said blah 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 you know so i wouldn't go hello ken hello cindy i would be this omnipresent storyteller person oh, and that's really that interesting I always played and I remember being really embarrassed because around at my friend's house and her mum was like, tea's ready, Gemma, you can, you know, play upstairs if you want while we have tea. So I did. And then I was, I was playing with her, their dolls. And then her sister, I looked up and uh, her sister was standing in the doorway, like watching me and listening to the story that I was making. And I was so, oh, no. she, was like, she was like, no, no, carry on. What happens next? What happens next? And she was like really <laughs> I was just mortified. She was clearly like, I've never seen this type of playing before. This is really weird. You don't do this when you're with us. Why are you now like doing this? Um, so yeah, I was aware that it was a bit, weird at the time but well i yeah. guess that's kind of just i mean in some respects you're probably just verbalizing um what i mean the other children that might not do that you know that might just do the voices they're probably having similar thoughts but they're not yeah. voicing them yeah so that's kind of it's quite interesting that you did like enjoy kind of saying it out loud and, and yeah. doing it that way Did it? Do you think it changes as you get? Because imagination is something that I think people associate like imaginative play with, like early years children. Yeah. But it is something that goes on, uh, you know, well into well, I guess even now it still goes on, doesn't it? As adults, we still kind of have daydreams, and that's. Yeah. I guess that's kind of a part of it. Do yeah. you? So you're because you've got a secondary kind of. Uh, you know secondary teacher uh -huh. experience what's what's your experience of kind of imaginative play as they get older and into into that kind of age group so yeah i'm totally fascinated by this and by the way that teenagers especially aren't really given the space in education to be imaginative um i don't think enough and obviously some schools do a lot of drama some only do a bit some don't do any um but for me also as an English teacher the things that I found totally fascinating were when you got kids to do writing tasks or speaking listening tasks mm -hmm. where they were in role so kind of giving them perhaps your reading of Mice and Men for example and you get them to do a writing task or a speaking speaking listening task in role as as Lenny or whatever yeah, yeah. and the stuff that they came out with as soon as I started doing that in my first year of teaching I just noticed this incredible writing coming out and amazing oh, verbal stuff you know and it was because they were in role as a character that I think they were able to use language in a totally different way they weren't sort of embarrassed to be 
using clever words or experimenting with different sentence structures and even the sentiments that they were expressing were really they was almost like they were trying on this kind of like mature experience and mature thoughts because mm. they were in role as this character which is the same I think as younger children in play you know when yeah, my yeah, daughter yeah definitely going, okay darling Catty sit down here you know she's trying on a mature more experienced persona which teenagers that I was teaching were able to do when they were taking on other roles you yeah. know in their thing. um and so I kind of I, I sort of argued I did a, a a master's in it and and, uh, and write dissertation about it and sort of researched it in a bit more detail and I sort of argued that doing those kind of in-role activities whether you're you know for, you might ask an entire class to be in role and the way that you would do that would be often for me for my teaching practice would be to put myself in role right from the beginning of the lesson so right. you walk in or the kids walk in and you immediately address them as a, as if they are detectives or yeah. you know doctors or whatever yeah. and they treat you like you're absolutely insane for about 30 seconds and some <laughs> of them find it really embarrassing and just sort of you can see them going oh god what she i was doing? gonna say embarrassment's got to be a big factor well, with teenagers hasn't it it does but you know what there's a there after enough time goes past i'd say i've never had a kid that has totally resisted it you know for a whole oh, lesson wow. it's all eventually gone with it even kind of grudgingly they just because it is playing you're basically mm. encouraging the whole class as a group to play together um and they just sort of get swept away in it so mm. some of them might do it a little bit maybe sarcastically but they'll still do it and you can see that they're still sort of enjoying it yeah they're still um, engaged with it like yeah. at some level haven't they when they're exactly and that. probably a lot more engaged than they would be if you just gone right we're reading this poem today instead yeah. of this is a murder mystery and we're going to find out you know, yeah. who kills the Duchess in my last Duchess and you're going to help me. Um, so, yeah, I kind of think that whatever, and it's, it's like a, whatever opportunity teachers have to be able to put kids in role, I think is great because they are still, they, like, they still benefit from playing and whether that playing is different because it's, it's, it's writing, you know, they're by themselves and they're in role and it's all in their, in their mind and then it's coming out on paper so some of the kids that I interviewed after doing some um, in-role writing were saying that they read it back and they're absolutely shocked by what they've written they can't remember having written it oh, and no. they say things like I'm just writing what I could see yeah. I just write down everything that I could see and so that shows they're in that same imaginative world as a young child where yeah. the outside world becomes far away from them and yeah and I think that's really valuable in lots of ways did you did you have to do I, my kind of feeling would be that it's much it would might be more difficult with teenagers to get them get the almost to get the ball rolling with with very young children like you, i think like you say you can if you suddenly go oh look there's a dragon over there and if you point at something I don't know yeah. why I've pointed at something because you can't <laughs> see what I'm doing. But yeah. if, if you point at something and and kind of go with it, it doesn't take them very long to kind of get involved and they suddenly go, oh, no, it's gone this way and oh, no, it's gone all that way. But yeah. if you were doing, if you're trying to get, say you're trying to get a class of, of older children into the mind of, like, like say, a character, do, would you do anything mm -hmm. to kind of get them there or do you just, would you just like address them as the name of that character and, and I guess hope that they filled in the backstory do you, 
Yeah, um, I think um, you can do things to help. So a bit like you put on when you were telling a story today at Forest School and you put on your kind of cape. So I would always change my appearance in some way. So put on a jacket or a scarf or have a clipboard or some kind of prop that signalled mm -hmm. to them something's different. Something's different about Miss mm -hmm. today. Why is she... You know, and often put on, put on a slightly different voice, for example. So they would already kind of click. Something's a bit. So they're looking for what? What is it? Am I being asked to do here? What? What's? What's the deal? What's happening? Yeah. Then, and then in the sort of preamble of the of the chat, I would kind of welcome them and let them know who they were. So you know, welcome colleagues. Thank you for you know giving me your time today, or whatever. And um, and then ask them questions and keep it quite open so the the ones that get it immediately and want to engage and want to take part are the first people to respond mm -hmm. and then you sort of riff off of that do you know what I mean there's always going to be like one or two people that immediately engage and are more confident about doing it yeah. um, than others and others need a little bit more coaxing um, and encouragement I guess as well and some and you have to sort of police it a little bit sometimes or yeah you know in terms of like in role going um I do a lot of stuff a lot of courtroom based stuff a lot of uh, <laughs> or uh, chat show stuff where the audience are there and you have to say you know please you know security will have to be called if you continue with that or whatever or mm. some very occasionally uh some members of the class would kind of be quite negative towards other members of the class like especially about characters going back to a little bit what you've said so if you're doing some stuff where some people enroll from characters of, of a novel that you're reading and you ask and they're, they're in the hot seat as you might call it and they're yeah. asked a question by another member of the class and they get the answer sort of factually wrong as it were from the novel yeah some people in the class find that really like no they wouldn't say that you know they come out of role as their persona of an audience member or a member of the public whatever and so you have to kind of go, well, I say you have to, but actually a lot of the time as the session goes on, the class becomes self-monitoring and other people go, no, like chill out. It's OK, you know, so that's. So do, in in those kind of instances, would you. So if an answer is kind of given or a response is given that is inconsistent with the character, would you let that go and you go, OK, maybe you're a different uh, Lenny than the Lenny yeah. in the book or or do yeah. you oh okay so you just you... They, well they as I say you know by, by the time it gets to that stage they usually decide and you're just observing on the side so I guess it's your job to stand to step in if they're if somebody's becoming so disruptive that's stopping the flow or someone's becoming very critical or whatever but a lot of the time somebody might go no that's not right and another person might go oh don't worry about it don't worry about it mm. or so yeah, they they decide, I guess, whether it's a different or they might or they might correct the person and the person might think for a second ago, oh, yeah, no, no, actually, I meant this. Mm. So, yeah. So do, is there anything because it's it sounds like thinking of uh, the kind of experiences that I've had similarly. So when I was at school, we did lots of that. We had literacy yeah. lessons that were very much like that. And I'm wondering whether there's something in the idea that when you're. Uh, as you're going through school, you move from that kind of free from free form um, imaginative play where nothing you do is wrong because you're the one making up whatever it is that happens. And as as we get older, maybe it's not that we only do it, but the the opportunities we get to do it 
have more and more rules. If you know mm-hmm. what I mean. So you've got you've gone from um that your son being able to say this is whatever I want it to be it it can be anything there's no wrong answer there and then as you get into secondary school most I I would guess most of the opportunities you had for drama would be you're a character that that has set rules or you're in a chat show that has set rules I'm not do you know what I mean they're kind of there's more, more and more kind of not constrictions but there's something coming in isn't there yeah um, but I, wonder I wonder if that, as well as sort of being in a lesson situation, is also part of growing up and becoming more aware of social constraint and social rules. So, yeah. you know, in asking a, a class or inviting a class to be members of the audience for a chat show, um, they have seen chat shows and so they know how they work and they naturally do it the way that it's done, you know? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Four-year-old has a lot that they have a lot that you know that social that rigid social thing is less embedded and therefore people you know characters can do what they want objects can do what they want yeah a lot more because yeah. they're it's kind of yeah i think that's um do you think there is a place i mean what kind of opportunities can you think of for older children to have or are there opportunities for older children to have that same experience of imaginative play that doesn't have particular rules i mean i'm thinking back to my children i'm wondering whether it just comes out in different avenues because i seem to remember when i again when i got to sort of teenager age i really heavily got into music and you know i was playing playing instruments and listening to a lot of music and then i mean there are rules in music to an extent but actually, if you want to go and do something that's completely different, you'll find a group of people that do things your way. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether there's that thing of we're still being an imaginative, but the tools change. Maybe the tools become more complex and, and yeah. we start doing things like like improvising music or starting yeah. doing um, uh, like maybe the right, it comes out as uh, short stories or something that, you know, where yeah. you write things down. Yeah. Um, that's exactly what I was thinking about writing definitely writing and things like school plays mm-hmm. um I guess that and it is it does seem sort of more organized as you say it's almost like more more rigid but um you're sort of getting into that territory maybe when you talk about imp- improvising music with like-minded people so that thing of flow mm-hmm. you know about flow so yeah, yeah. involved in in that kind of meaningful purposeful activity often you know with a, with a group maybe or by yourself where your sense of time is just out the window and I guess that part that that feels like to me the same part of the brain as or the mind as younger children in mm. play with without so many rules and without um so, so much conscious thought I guess yeah I think that's that's a good way to phrase it, isn't it? That, that there's conscious thought in in what we do, possibly more and more as we get older. Yeah. I'm, I'm wondering as as we're sort of thinking about parents kind of facilitating imaginative play and things. Yeah. And as children get older, is there is there a time where you need to start correcting imaginative play? Uh. Do you, do you know what I mean? As they start to get older, whether there's a whether there's a point where you would start to say they keep imagining this and 
I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't imagine that there would be a time to, yeah, correct it because in my mind, if a if a child or a young person is playing in whatever way you might define playing, mm. they're doing that for and it's a need. You know, that's a mm. mental health or development need. Yeah. Um, that for even if to you it seems weird or repetitive or odd, and you think, oh, you know, they could probably you know, change the record now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think they just need they just need to do that for whatever reason. The the you know it, I think a lot that, of a lot that... of parents feel like that with um with imaginary friends. Um oh, yeah. I, I was talking to a parent the other day, I was well, I was with a child who had an imaginary friend. Um, yeah. And they were saying that this this imaginary friend has to have food out for them the whole time. Um, right. They have had to drive back uh, 45 minutes from a, on, on a road trip. They'd got 45 minutes away and they had to come back because they'd forgotten the imaginary friend. Wow. Um, yeah, <laughs> really dedicated on the part of the parents. But they were saying that also this this imaginary friend was sometimes small enough to fit in the child's pocket. And sometimes yeah. it was bigger than the parent depending on you know it was just com- it That's was isn't it? it was really kind of interesting and something that I, I wanted to talk I think imaginary friends are something that I want to talk to children children about but at the same time it seems it feels very prying to, to yeah. talk to them about things and and um and also some children can seem a bit confused because if yeah. it's it might not be imaginary. Oh, that sounds confusing. They might yeah. not perceive it as imaginary. So you saying, is he sat next to me, is very confusing for them because they're like, well, no, of course he's not. He's here. What are you yeah. doing, you idiot? Um, yeah. so that's... And also, I think a lot of the time they don't necessarily know either. Hmm. So I talk to my son about stuff that he's imagining in that way. Not He doesn't have an imaginary friend at the moment, but in that, if he's talking about some kind of made-up imagined experience for example and I question him about it he's really not sure like he's making up the answer as he goes okay. so it's maybe it maybe it would be quite hard for the child to answer those questions or they'd be thinking on the hoof you know well, well yeah I guess <laughs> yeah um but yeah I don't know I don't know if I'd be able to have that amount of patience with a child's imaginary friend I don't know to drive it's, back 45 minutes that's yeah cool. I think I, I could see that it would be a very easy thing in the so this child that we were, that I was talking to happened to be an only child and, and I can see that it would be very um, beneficial um, around the house to say like oh well she's practicing her social skills you know she's she's mm-hmm. practicing turn taking even though she hasn't got someone to take turns with or um, she's practicing those kind of social conventions which you would go that's a great positive I'm so glad she's got this imaginary friend but the, then those downsides like they you know having to dish out food or having to turn around you'd kind of go oh I wish she did I wish she didn't do it now I wish it was more yeah. convenient and yeah. I, I think that's a big thing with imagination in younger children is it's not always convenient totally yeah, um, yeah. and it's really strong and it is really yeah it's yeah yeah. Overriding, yeah. So just to finish off, is there anything that you are there any kind of tips that you would say for adults to kind of either to help uh, sort of keep facilitating imaginative play as children get older or anything that you would say people kind of need to look into or is there yeah. anything like that? 
I would say, well, I would say this because I'm kind of into it, but I think it's all about not being afraid to put yourself in role mm-hmm. and initiate play by putting yourself in role. So um, recently I was playing with my son using um, magnet tiles. They're like construction tiles with magnets inside. Okay. And he's really desperate to build a ramp and... Um, which he'd done with his dad the day before. And so he was trying to do it and he couldn't do it. And he became really cross. And I was sort of trying to make it really child-led. And I wasn't, Mm -hmm. I was going to help him and support him, but I wanted him to try and solve the problem and fix it. And he just got, and I was really trying to give him, you know, the control and just be there to support him. And he just got really cross and just smashed the whole thing up. And then a few minutes later, I um, just took a little Playmobil figure and made it talk to him. And again, I kind of put him in role by saying, sort of saying, engineer, you know, help me. I, we need an engineer to do this. And he he took on that role. And once I and and when he took the Playmobil person from me, but I carried on doing the voice mm-hmm. and he put on a slightly different voice and he became the role of like the engineer, the ground person who was going like, to solve this problem. And suddenly he was just able to stick with the problem solving so much better and try different ways and that was really interesting and I thought sort of not only is he benefiting from the kind of playful experience and it's good for both of us you know our parent-child bond is that we're playing together and it's really and it's nice for both of us Mm. but in terms of kind of yeah sort of stamina and um what's the word not stamina perseverance yeah yeah that kind of thing and and extending the thought and the and the play that was really beneficial and I think yeah, whether you are using a toy to play with or whether it's just you, you know, you are putting yourself in role as somebody and yeah. something. I think not being afraid to be silly in that way yeah. and put yourself out there is a good one. So we but, we just need to keep playing with our kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Okay. Well, we've just hit half an hour, so um, I think we'll uh, wrap it up there. Perfect. All right. Thank you very much for, your, for having a chat. It's been really good. Thank you. Awesome. All right. I'll see yeah. you soon, mate. Bye. All right, bye. Okay, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, if you do want to find out any more information about the work that Gemma and I do in our forest school, uh, you need to head to childrenofthe.forest.com, and there's dashes in between all the words in that website. Uh, thanks for listening. I hope some of, some of what we said was useful, and um, hope it's given you some good ideas of uh, ways to include imagination in the play that you're doing with children. All right, bye.